Hi, I'm Kruthi Shah and this is my podcast, Have You Thought About? I'm a writer who loves to find out about what passions people are pursuing, especially if they manage to blend together skills in unusual ways. In each edition, I'm going to chat with someone I find particularly interesting and who has managed to fit things together in their life or profession that you might not think of as an obvious match. You're about to hear me chatting with Lucy Webster, a journalist, disability activist and author. Hi Lucy, now it's wonderful to have you on the podcast. We've known each other a while and it's been amazing to see your career soar. But first let's kick off because you have a book which is called The View From Down Here, Life as a Young Disabled Woman, which goes with your newsletter of the same name. So can we find out more about it and how it came about? Thanks for having me. This book is a memoir that looks at the intersection of disability and womanhood and my experiences with ableism and sexism. It came about almost right where, as you know, I was working as a political reporter at the BBC. But during COVID, kind of what was happening to disabled people became harder and harder to ignore things. And then I kind of had my own personal experiences of ableism during that time, particularly with a dating agency who basically told me I was too disabled for anyone to want to date. And that I tweeted about that and it went viral. And it kind of made me think that things weren't just going to get better by me doing my job or me being out in the world. If I wanted things to get better, I was going to have to make them better. So I quit quit my job and decided to write the book and focus my journalism as well on anti-ableism. So yeah, that's kind of where it came from. You talk about many, many different things in the book. There is the challenges, the intersectionality of having a disability, of being this young woman, but it's also your life. It was incredibly hard to write and even harder to... um, um, But, you know, the reactions have been incredible. I think one of nicest thing is other disabled women saying this is the first time that their lived experience has been represented in a way it feels true and you know people saying oh my god I've always thought that these things only happened to me or it was all in my head or I'd be overreacting or whatever, all the things that were told. So it's been, it's been really lovely to hear that and to hear it being true for so many people. I think what's been really interesting is that disabled people and non-disabled people pick up on many different parts of the book. Um, So a lot of interviews that I've done with non-disabled people, everyone kind of asked me about access 
about bullying school experience quite badly. Um, and about dating was, I think it's because having gone viral that time, that's kind of what people know me for talking about. Um, disabled people, especially disabled women, have interviewed me and talked to me about the chapter about body image and about parenting. So it's an interesting see the different I think one thing is that while it is brilliant to see disabled women loving the book, it would be nice if more non-disabled people interacted with it because really I wrote it to change things and that that is in the hand of non-disabled. You want people to change things. You want to spotlight what life is like. It's a memoir, like any other memoir in that respect. You have cerebral palsy, but this isn't purely about a condition that you have. This is for, as you say, anybody to read and take action. But why do you think there's such hesitancy to do so. The short answer to that question is ableism, right? Like, we are conditioned as a society to think that disability something that happens behind closed doors and it doesn't affect us if we're not disabled ourselves or have someone disabled in our family. But that's not true for one in five people are disabled and it's everyone's responsibility to engage with everything and accessibility whether whether or not you think you, you do, even if you don't know it. With this act of demystifying the realities of living with disability with being in a society where, as you say, one in five people actually have uh, a disability, even if it's not visible, what is it that keeps coming up again and again that you realised was something that you could and deliberately would try to create significant change around? Yeah, um, it's hard. It's hard to know where to start because... Kind of everything is terrible. Uh, yeah, I don't mean my life is terrible. My life is great, but everything is so pervasive, so entrenched that like, you are kind of constantly putting out fires or trying to put out fires. As a writer, I think my... The thing I'm most and how we can see this business. So for me it's about representation, it's about language, it's about making sure that people understand that disability is not a medical problem, it's a social condition that we create as a society and like 
you know, I would say the reason that I can't get up the stairs doesn't matter. The problem is that there's no risk. And once people understand that, they are then empowered to be activists and so, or at least active bystanders. Whereas I think if you are thinking about disability as a medical condition, you kind of think nothing can make bring disabled better. So yeah, representation is a huge issue and the way Disabled people are represented is really bad, whether that's news or fiction or TV. Across the board, it's quite bad. So my job as a writer is to make sure the information and the representation is out there for people to learn from. So what is best practice? What are people doing, even what you're doing, that you want to see more of, that you want to hear more about? Yeah, so the first thing, like, the first step is always understanding disability as a social condition. Read about the social model of disability. Understand it's not some niche thing, you know, is one in five of us is actually the biggest minority group. So these are not the concerns of a niche group of people, but also higher disabled people. Like, it's really not happening. If you're a newsroom, if you're a writer's room, if you're a publisher, like, there should be disabled people on staff, and if there's not, that's a problem. And if you are doing something about disability, you should be hiring disabled freelancers to make sure that you are doing it. These are your words that I'm going to say here about where you write about growing up in in your memoir of you from down here. Mm -hmm. The narratives around disabled female bodies were rooted in ableist and sexist assumptions about beauty, excluding everyone who is not white, non-disabled and thin. Now, I raise that because you've deliberately gone for that element of intersectionality. Why is that so important to you that we don't just see disability as something homogenous? Well, it's so very, yeah. I'm a disabled queer woman, and none of those can be separated from the others. And it means that the way that I experience ableism. That's really from a white straight man who is also disabled. But they experience a lot of racism too, but it, it's different in the way it manifests. And you can't 
tackle any of it unless you recognize that reality. And I think it's just so important. It's so fundamental to the work that I do that I can't imagine not, not seeing it that well. But, you know, with the book, especially, I, you know, I realised that my experiences were different because of the woman, but they were also different because I, that I'm capable or because I have a speech impediment. And the fact that I'm queer, like, there's so many things that affect how you're treated by society, and, and we can't pretend that all disabled people are the I also said disabled people are disabled because I. None of us should claim to talk for all of us. Like, I don't have that right. No one has that right. So you have to be honest about things to change them, I think. And you can't be honest without acknowledging the intersectionality. Interested in that idea of body positivity that you embody to, to, to take to take the language but how can everyone able-bodied people with disabilities actually become more comfortable with their own bodies when society posits such negativity that you have to constantly fight against it it feels like that you're further along in your journey than perhaps a lot of other people yeah, I, I mean, I, I find it ironic, actually, that as a disabled woman who would consistently tell my body is wrong and bad and to be pitied and shunned, that actually I probably like my body more than quite a lot of my own disabled friends. Um... I think the kind of body positivity that we're sold is quite mistaken. Like, we're sold just, you know, it doesn't matter what your body looks like, it matters what your body can do. Which, obviously, it's quite a lot of people. I, I fundamentally don't think that the value of your body comes from anything apart from the fact that you are alive in it. And uh, it's not great. <laughs> yeah, we are great. So, your body allows you to exist. And, and that's as much as it needs to do in my life. I don't think it's wrong when I'm in pain and I'm sore and I'm tired and I'm not thinking my body is the best thing ever. But I'm not blaming it for the fact that I'm sore and tired. I'm just accepting that 
my body has to exist in a world that's not built for it. And the result of that is pain. But that's not my fault or my body's fault. And I probably should have said this earlier, so I'll apologise here, but with, you have, as I said, cerebral palsy, for those who don't know... Yeah, I'm not, honestly, I'm not too interested in what cerebral palsy is or what what because it doesn't really matter. What matters is that I'm ostracised and excluded and respite because of the social category of disability. Whether it was because I had terrible body or I'd had an accident or any number of things. Yeah, for me it's much more about the, the social stuff. So if it's about the social stuff, what should be the starting point? So... I say that because if people are scared to ask or not sure what to ask, what is a good starting point when it comes to creating a more fair society for all? So, if we look at kind of basic inclusion, right? be able to get someone, be able to go to something, be able to have a job or or go to school. Um, rather than saying to a disabled person, what can't you do? Just say what you would say to everyone else, which is, what do you need to make this accessible And that opens up a whole conversation about access that is not based on medical diagnosis or lack or the disabled person as a problem. It is based on positive action. And it kind of works across the board. It works with all my friends who I will tell you that I want to plan a holiday with them. Let me ask them what they need to be able to go on holiday. And it works with I think we need more neurodivergent talent in this company. How do we get them? Like, it kind of works, but also now, what do you need? What makes this more accessible? Fantastic. So that what do you need is such a powerful question. And as you say, can open so many doors. Now, Lucy, as well as the activism, as well as the authorship, you are a journalist and you actually cover a variety of subjects and beats. So with that... Can you just share a little bit more about your storytelling and the stories you prefer to shed a light on? Can you talk through some of your favourites? Yeah, so I, I cover a lot of things that are all about disabled people. Right? So because, like I said, 
more than five people are disabled. That means the disabled people are everywhere. Which is great for me because it means that my work is really very interesting. Um, so I've done stories about disabled people in the theatre. I've done stories about social care. I've done stories about fashion and, and I think TV and books and politics. Uh, disabled people really do get out um, and the kind of brilliant thing about my job is that I just get to talk to interesting disabled people doing I love kind of telling stories that any kind of dreams about disabilities and as I said about five hundred times by now, but takes it out of that medical box. I'm putting it into a social. I love telling stories that kind of make people challenge their assumptions about where disabled people belong. And I do a lot of stuff around dating that I think that's a really key part of why I do that, to challenge this idea that disabled people don't belong in that world. So all sorts of things. Yeah. Well, I was actually going to ask specifically because you've also done travel journalism. And I'm sure I read a piece about Tokyo. So what was that like? Because that was, I've been to Tokyo and it was one of the most surreal places I've had the joy to visit. How about you? Yeah, Tokyo was incredible. I like to say, Somehow, both one of the most accessible and one of the most inaccessible places I've ever been. Public infrastructure is completely accessible, which is incredible coming from Europe, where it's not. So, you know, the entire train metro system was completely set free. There were disabled toilets everywhere. I mean, it was, it was a different world from London. And yet, almost none of the restaurants were. Mostly because they're so tiny that you physically can't get a power chair in them. Um, and most of them are countertops. Bar stools and everything I can't really sit on a bar stool. Although I did drive and it was quite entertaining. It does show that this idea that the tube can't be accessible is a lie. It could be if we spent the money to do it. But what an incredible thing. I have to say one thing that was really noticeable about Japan was that no one's staring at me. But people stare here. People really stare in other parts of Asia I can. I think partly that's because I'm also incredible. Um, 
and the parachute. No common sight in all Thailand. Uh, but no one stares at me in Japan at all. It's lovely. One thing I also wanted to ask, which I think is quite important around the fact that you're an author, that you're a journalist, at what point in your life did you realise that writing, that being a journalist was something that you wanted to pursue further and that you had that talent for it? Was it as a child? Was it when you were older? What was the catalyst for you? I was an incredibly nerdy teenager. Like, nerdy off the scale of nerd. I think I was about 15 and I just started a blog. And all I was really doing was writing about what was in the news. I don't know anything, really. Um, so basically it sounded like a knockoff BBC News because that was the only thing I had to go off. But I was lucky that a teacher at school told me sound one day to say, Are you aware of the fact that you write incredibly well? And I went, Well, because <laughs> yeah. I'd never particularly thought about writing or, or set out to learn to write. I was just blogging because I enjoyed it. And she said, you should really do something with this. So I kind of went from there, and then I started you know, doing little work experience lessons, and I was doing my air movement, my internship while at uni. Um, I, I, I can't imagine doing anything else. I, all I know how to do is put words on paper. I think very early on, I realised that it was a way to get people to understand, or at least start to understand, things about disability. But at the time, I found very hard to talk about in person. Now I do play all day on like a broken record, but at the time I found it very hard to speak about it, but I could write about it. So I had a sense that there was some power to it. I really believe that. I really believe that writing about things and naming them and describing them is powerful. Lucy Webster, who shines a light on intersectionality, breaking down barriers and anti-ableism activism. Do you have an interdisciplinary life? Because I would love to hear from you and maybe we can chat on this podcast that goes with my newsletter, which is called Have You Thought About? It can be found via www.druthishah.com. Please join me next time for a fun conversation with another guest who likes to mix up lots of things in their life. Do listen to past episodes and rate and review the podcast if you've enjoyed it. And thank you to Reen Shah for the music.